Lord, our King, our Lord Jesus, uh, for your great sacrifice for us. Our hearts are indeed filled with thankfulness to you for what you've done for us, and, and we indeed do want to give our lives uh, to love and honor you. Help us now, Lord, uh, as we come to your word. Uh, help us to see the challenge, to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. Uh, and help us to see where you are going. Uh, open our hearts to your word. By your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, could you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16. And we're looking at verses 21 to 28 this evening. On your way in, you would have received this uh, bulletin supplement. And inside, you will find an outline of the sermon. It might help you to know where we're going. Matthew chapter 16, page 694. Now, last week, we looked at the issue of Jesus' identity. The question that Jesus asked his disciples was a question that he asked us. Who do you say that I am? And we saw how Peter came up with the right answer. He said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the king, you are are the one who God promised would rule his people and indeed the world. And Jesus responded by pronouncing him blessed. For it was God the Father who had revealed this to him, he said. And Jesus made some very significant promises to Peter about the part he would play in his church. But there was one very surprising thing at the end of the passage, wasn't there? Jesus had just confirmed to his disciples that he was indeed Christ, God's promised King. And then in verse 20 of chapter 16, he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. What was going on there? Why the secrecy? Well, the answer is found in the very next verse, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. You see, Jesus was teach, had to teach them what it meant for him to be king. He had to show them how he was going to become king. And from that day on, that was the focus of his teaching. Because for Jesus to be king, it didn't mean he would you know, walk into Jerusalem and everyone would say, Oh, Jesus, you're here, it's fantastic. We've been waiting for you to come and here, look, take power, take power. We, we, we hand it over to you. From a human point of view, there was far too many entrenched interests for that. And from God's point of view, that simply wasn't God's plan. God had already revealed his plan in the Old Testament. When David became king, he had to suffer first under Saul before he could assume the kingship. The same thing would happen to the true king, the Christ of whom David was a pointer. The servant in the prophecy of Isaiah would indeed restore Israel and bring justice to the nations, but first he would suffer and die for the sins of many, taking their guilt and their punishment. For Jesus to be king, 
he would be that servant. He would suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the the, the Jewish religious leadership. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised to life. Now all this was too much for Peter. Peter had just come off a spiritual high. He had been the one to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus said he would be foundational to the church that that Jesus was going to build. He would be given the keys to the kingdom. He would be like the the steward of the palace with Jesus as king. And Jesus had promised him a prominent position in his kingdom. He was his his right hand man. And if you're his right hand man, then it's his job, isn't it? To look after Jesus. Or to make sure he looks after himself. Because all this suffering and dying stuff, surely it's not necessary. You know? There must be a better way. Of course he wouldn't want to contradict Jesus in front of the others, but just privately, man to man. Future steward to future king, chief advisor to new monarch, he'd, he'd have a quiet word for his own good. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And as Peter is speaking, trying to persuade Jesus not to follow that painful road, Jesus turns and stops him. For in the words of Peter, he recognizes another voice. A voice he's heard before, tempting him in a similar way. And so Jesus responds to Peter in the strongest possible words. Verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. See, Peter wants Jesus to be king without going through the cross. He wants him to have the glory without the pain. He wants him to be exalted without first being humiliated. He wants him to avoid the way of the cross. But how could Jesus do that? How could he claim that kingship, which, which was his by right, without, without going through the suffering? How could he be the ruler without first being the saviour? How could he have a people... A church which is our very own without purchasing us with his own blood. How could he be a king over a people who had not been redeemed from sin? How could he be the king of people who are unforgiven? How could he be a king without being servant? There's only one way. And that would be to turn aside from the path of humble obedience that God the Father had set him. And to build his own kingdom. A kingdom whose subjects remain in sin. A kingdom whose subjects are still in rebellion against God, still unforgiven. A kingdom that is not the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that ultimately comes from the devil. And you know, 
That's what the devil offered him back in chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We read, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. Jesus could be the Christ. He could be the Son. He could be the King to rule the world. And his main opponent, the one who controls all the forces of evil which stand in the way of the kingdom, he would just hand them over. But the price? All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. See, Satan offered a shortcut to glory. And given what the cross involves, that would have been a real temptation, wouldn't it? Satan wanted to place Jesus under him like he did everyone else. The kingdom in exchange for his loyalty. If Jesus accepted the shortcut to glory, he would still rule, but he would rule for the devil, not for his father. And back in the wilderness of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus rejected that offer. Clearly it had come from the, from the devil himself, but here, in Matthew 16, it comes again. From the lips of a friend. Perhaps his closest friend on earth. From someone he loved and cared for. Uh, from someone who genuinely loved and cared for him. From someone he said would be foundational to his church. Temptation sometimes comes from the most unlikely sources, doesn't it? And wouldn't it, wouldn't it have sounded attractive? Wouldn't it have been good to fulfill the destiny that God had planned for him without, without going through the hardship? Wouldn't it have been good to save his life? Wouldn't it have been good to bring in the kingdom? God had promised the kingdom. Wouldn't it have been good to bring it in the, the easy way? And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You are a trap for me. You're something I could trip over and fall and then end up missing out on God's plan for me. Because that's the function that Peter played. It's not that Peter was literally Satan. It was Satan who was trying to trap Jesus. and Satan used Peter. And it's not that Peter had bad intentions. I'm sure he had all the best of intentions. But he simply had the wrong way of thinking. Jesus said, You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, Peter's thinking, his mindset was worldly. He wasn't thinking God's way, he was thinking in a human way. And we human beings think that greatness is ease. That the absence of pain is a mark of success. That things going smoothly is a sign of God's blessing. And we do not see that the path of victory is brokenness and shame. We do not see that a crucified Messiah will be the Savior of the world. We would never have imagined that the death of God's Son would be the way that He would bring in His kingdom. Man's way is to fight for the kingdom. Jesus' way is to be obedient to the Father. And friends, we cannot achieve God's purposes man's way. God's plan must be achieved God's way. 
And God meant for His Son to go to the cross. He had to die for your sins and mine. He had to go and take the guilt and the punishment for us. If He did not die, we could never have been saved from God's wrath against our sins. God had decided that His Son would defeat the devil and save the world through the cross. Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law and I must be killed and on the third day rise again. Brothers and sisters, if that is the path that Jesus trod, that is the path he calls us to walk as well. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Remember when uh, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me? It's the same. He wasn't just saying, Go away, I don't want to see your face. All right? He's saying, Get behind me, come after me. It's the same word here, get behind me, the after, the behind word. All right? He's saying, Come after me, get behind me. That is, I set the direction, you fall in line. Right? You go where I say, not I go where you say. And Jesus says to his disciples, If you want to come after me, you deny yourself, take up your cross. And you follow me. That's what it means to come after Jesus. What does it mean to deny yourself? Sometimes people try to finish this sentence for Jesus. And so denying yourself means denying yourself chocolate. Or meat. Or fun. But Jesus says deny yourself. How do you deny yourself? Later on in Matthew, we'll see Peter denying Christ. He says, I never knew him. I'm, I'm not one of his followers. I disassociate myself with him. And denying Christ meant disowning him. Denying yourself means disowning yourself, rejecting yourself. But in what way do you reject yourself? There are many ways we can reject ourselves, and many of them are not very healthy ways. And we can reject ourselves from a physical angle. We hate our bodies. We loathe the way God made us. That's not what Jesus was talking about. We can reject ourselves psychologically and, and keep doing bad things to ourselves through our attitudes, our actions, our habits. That's not what Jesus intended. What way are we meant to deny ourselves? In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, done before the time of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 31 verse 7 has, has the word, that word, that deny word. Uh, and it's here. Uh, in this passage, Isaiah is pleading with Israel to return to God. And he says, Return to him you have so greatly revolted against, O Israelites. For in that day, every one of you will reject, that's the deny word there, reject the idols of silver and gold your sinful hands have made. For Israel to return to God, they will deny the idols of silver and gold that stand in his place. And in a similar way, friends, for us to deny ourselves is to, to reject ourselves as God in our lives, as the idol that stands in the place of God in our thinking. 
It means to say no to our own self. No, you are not God. God is God. Jesus is your Lord. You are under Him to love Him, to follow Him, to obey Him. His word is the basis for everything you do in every area of your life. From how you approach your work to how you treat your spouse. From how you spend your money to how you use your sexuality. From how you look after your family to how you drive on the road. You don't make up the rules anymore. You don't set the principles. You don't determine the priorities. You are no longer the king of your life. Your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. You come under Jesus. You are accountable to Him. Jesus says to His disciples, If you want to come after me, first you deny yourself. You are no longer the boss. I am the boss, He says. The next thing the potential disciple needs to do is to take up his cross. Now, notice Jesus says this before he's crucified. Right? So it doesn't have exactly the same connotations it does for us when we think back at Christ's crucifixion. But the cross was a common method of execution at the time. To take up your cross was to get ready for your execution. Criminals who were about to die would carry their cross to the place where they were going to be crucified. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow me. Once you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then prepare to join him in death. Jesus knew he was going to die. Peter tried to stop him. Jesus says, no, you take up your cross and you follow me. I'm going to die. You want to come as well? Prepare to die too. For the disciples that Jesus first spoke to, this was, this was literally true. And within two years, he himself would be strung up on a cross and killed. He really was on his way to the cross. And he called his disciples to follow him. Brothers and sisters, are you prepared to die for Jesus? Are you prepared to give up all for him? Would you be willing to give your life for his cause? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Get ready to die. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. But paradoxically, you know, following Jesus to death, that is the way to life. If we refuse to follow because we love our own lives, we will end up losers. We will still die, a few years later maybe, but we will still die, and face eternity without him. And a Christless eternity means an eternity under God's wrath. And friends, that's a foolish option to take, isn't it? But if we follow Jesus, that means even if we die today, we have life forever. Even if they take our life, they cannot take us out of the kingdom. The kingdom where we will enjoy life as it truly was meant to be. 
God's people, in God's place, under God's blessing and rule, in that new creation forever. Jesus says in verse 25, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. A few months ago, some of you went to watch a play about uh, an American missionary called Jim Elliot. He was a missionary to Ecuador. And in 1956, at the age of 28, he and, uh, 24, uh, he and four other friends uh, went to preach the gospel to a group of Akua Indians there. They were known to be hostile to outsiders. And not long after they came, he and his friends were killed. The end of the story is that his wife... Elizabeth visited the people who had killed her husband and began to share Christ's love with them and eventually they, uh, the whole tribe, I think, many in the tribe at least, became Christian. But Jim had a motto. And his motto was this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing to die for Jesus? There may be people here who do end up dying for him. Others will suffer much less severe forms of persecution, but it will be persecution all the same. Are you willing to be persecuted for Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost? If so, do it. Now, I'm not telling you to do the equivalent of committing suicide, you know, go and distributing Christian pamphlets at the Al-Qaeda headquarters in Iraq or something like that. I'm not telling you to ask for persecution if, if none's coming. But if you are willing to die for Jesus, then you must be willing to live for him. If you're willing to die for Jesus, you must be willing to live for him. If you are willing to die for him, then consider yourself dead already. And then figure out from scratch what he would want you to do with the rest of your life. And do it. And if you still think it's too much to ask, then think again. If you die for Jesus, you have eternal life. You live for yourself, you ultimately die. To follow Jesus, that's, that's better by far. It's a difference between eternal life and eternal death. Look at Jesus' cost-benefit analysis. Verse 26, he says, What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul or his life? What can a man give in exchange for his soul or his life? If, if, if money is your idol, what would be the point of being the richest man in the world if at the end of it you die and go to hell forever? If it's power, what, 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 what good would it be if you're the most powerful person in all the world and you died and went to hell forever? If career is your God, then ask yourself, what would be the point of being the the most successful lawyer or, or researcher or sweet streeper or whatever your job is if the end of it you die and go to hell forever 
What's keeping you from Jesus? Because whatever it is, it's not worth it. One day, Jesus will return to judge the world. Verse 27. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Psalm 62 verse 12 says that the the Lord will reward each person according to what he has done. And Jesus takes on that role for himself here. He will be the judge of everyone. And if anyone has denied himself and and taken up his cross and followed Jesus, he will be rewarded. Those who have lived for themselves, they will be rewarded as well in a negative way. And the judgment will be just. Jesus says he will reward people according to what they have done. In this context, what they've done is what they've done with him. And so he concludes this little speech with the promise of verse 28. It is, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Remember how the passage started with the issue of what kind of king Jesus is? And remember how he had to re-educate his disciples about the kingdom? And about how he would come in his kingdom? How his kingdom would come, not by, not by force, but by his death and resurrection? Well, some of them there would, would indeed see that. The kingdom would indeed come in. He was close at hand. The Son of Man would indeed be rejected and die. And after three days be raised to life. And that sequence of events would be represent the, the coming of the kingdom. Friends, the kingdom of God has now come. It hasn't come in all its fullness, that's still coming. But, but, but the kingdom has come, it's been inaugurated in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is indeed the, the risen, ascended king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The question we need to ask ourselves is, will we enter that kingdom? Will we come under his kingship? Friend, the king of the kingdom, Lord Jesus Christ, he has died for you. He went all the way to the cross to pay for your sins. He refused to turn aside and take the easy path. Are you willing to deny yourself Take up your cross and to follow him. Are you ready to set aside your small ambitions and live for the king? Are you going to follow the one whose opinion really counts for all eternity? Are you prepared to die for him and really live? Or will you seek to live for yourself and die forever? What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was indeed faithful to you all the way to the cross 
we thank you that he went all that way and, and did die and did pay for our sins and, he, and you indeed did raise him from the dead and exalted him as your, your exalted and heavenly king and Lord we pray that each one of us here would be people who indeed deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him please help us to follow him in all the different areas of our life please help us to live with him as our king him as our ruler and help us not to look for the easy way make us willing O oh Lord to give up our lives now and to live with you in eternity we pray this Lord in his name Amen